Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Bohm, your host. Last week, I had this extraordinary opportunity to sit down at a table with two world-class healers and teachers, one in Dewey Freeman, the second in Michael Gay. And I got to ask Dewey all the questions I have about healing, about men, about culture, about anything and everything. It was so fascinating to me that I've asked Dewey if I can come back and do about six more of these. So please realize that this is a little more informal, perhaps, than some of the conversations you hear. And you may hear Michael chime in, or you may even hear Dewey uh, talk to Michael throughout it. But sit down for this one. Like the, the amount of truth and deep knowledge that's coming through is mind boggling. I've listened to this four or five times already, and I still want to keep going. So please grab a seat and enjoy Dewey Freeman. And you were saying that you spend the vast, yeah, the vast majority of my time is spent with women. And um, I've purposely not gotten into some of the men's stuff because it's about you know, rah-rah and beating your chest. And that's not what I'm into. I hear it, it's, uh, I am into fully owning ourselves, fully knowing ourselves mm. and allowing ourselves to be powerful. And I can tell you what I, my definition of power, I actually think you might've used it at one point. Do you want me to talk I'd about that? Yeah, please. With all that we do relationally, there's, I see a huge difference between power and control. Control is that thing that we do when we don't trust. If I don't trust you, if I don't trust myself, if I don't trust Michael, if I don't trust the horses, what I'm going to try and do is control them. I'm going to try and control you. Mm. It's like even when we were up with the horses if, and we didn't do this piece, but if you grab them right underneath their halter and you're just grabbing and holding tight, that's control. Mm -hmm. So it's, control is that thing that we do when we don't trust. When we trust, and what, what I want is for people to be powerful. And I'm the, to my knowledge, I'm the one that put this, this definition together. Power is the ability to influence and be influenced in contact, in relationship. So... I want you to influence me. I want to be influenced by you. I want to know that I can influence you and I want to know that you can influence me mm. in contact and relationship with each other. And that's actually what we were doing up with Moondash. It's like we're in relationship with him and we can literally move a 12,000 pound horn, 1200 pound horse, 12,000 would be way big. That'd be, that would be the biggest horse ever. 1200 pound horse without even touching. Yeah. Do where does that, where does that different, that definition break down in relationship where you see it? Is it, and then since we were just talking about men, maybe we can 
frame it around there first of, is it the, the idea that, that control is power? Is that where we're... Yeah, a lot of people interchange the word power and control. Yeah. Like people will come in as a couple and they'll go, well, we have power struggles. And it's not, actually, no, you don't have power struggles. What you have are control struggles. Say more about that. Well, someone, I fucking love power and control. <laughs> to be quite honest. Well, I don't know you that well. What my guess is that you don't buy into control much and that you do power mm. a lot. I mean, do you want to control people without having a relationship? No. Exactly. Yeah. One, and it sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah, and it's not a, f a full loop. There's exactly. No back and yet. that's what I'm saying is mm -hmm. control is that thing that we do with uh, ourselves or others where it's not a full loop. It's, it's me um, applying pressure to you mm -hmm. in some way. And again, when we were up with the horses and we didn't, I mean, we could have done this, but we didn't. It, it's part of what Michael and I have done. It's like when you push against the horse, they will push back yeah. and you will lose. And that's the control. Yeah. If I want to try and control, I would just, I will push and then I get pushed back and then that's all there is. If, but that reciprocal process that you talked about is what power is. It's the, mm. my ability to influence you and your ability to influence me in contact with each other, mm -hmm. in relationship with each other. Can you speak to what in contact means? Is that you bet I can physical? <laughs> nope. Okay. It can be. Yeah, it can be. So contact is the place where our emotional, physical, energetic, or spiritual boundaries touch another. Would you mind saying that one more time? Please? I will say it one more time. Contact is a place where physical, emotional, yeah. spiritual, or energetic boundaries touch another. So if you put your hand up, tell me when you feel, feel it. Yeah. So right here, our hands are about a foot apart, but we can feel that energy yeah. there. So where that energy is touching, that's con we're making contact. There's a warmth there already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, if I move in, and now contact is made with the contact boundary is the skin of your hand and skin of mine. So right. it's a physical contact. Mm. But if you don't have a boundary for me to touch, then we don't have contact. Right, right, right. Or vice versa. Mm. And what happens, people, many, many, many people, do not really know how to make contact when we're in our heads when we're intellectual and that's all we have going we we don't make contact there say more about that please when we move into our heads and everything is is it, we 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 focus on the intellectual understanding of something yeah we don't we don't make contact with another being. We're not even in contact with the rest of our body many times. Mm -hmm. So I can't really be in contact with you if I'm not in contact with myself. Mm -hmm. So, so if, and most of the time when we do those things, when we do something to inhibit contact, it's a protective process. We have done, we've experienced something in our lives that we need, need, 
we feel a need to protect ourselves from. So when I'm talking about contact and where we many times don't make contact, that's not a judgment. It's not a, oh, you're fucked up or right. oh, there's something wrong with you. Right. I mean, uh, and it's one of the things that even happens in therapy. A therapist will say that a client is resistant. So it'd be, you know, Michael's never been my client, but let's say I, I come in and I'm talking to him. I go, God, man, Michael's so fucking resistant. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's not true. When I blame, when I say that uh, a person that I'm working with is resistant, what I'm really doing is I'm blaming them for not knowing what to do with them. Ooh. So you haven't found the opening. Yes. It's, it's, that's part of what's going on for me. It's yeah. like, if I, if I say, Hey man, you're fucking resistant. It's yeah. like, that's not, that's not what's going on. What's going on is you, you or other people, including myself mm -hmm. may be protective. Mm -hmm. So I could say to you, Hey, Trevor, you're, you're being resistant. Right. Or I could say, what are you protecting? Mm. You know, what's going on? Like something's gone on in your life that you need yeah. to protect yourself from something. Yeah. And then that's a place, that's a place I can come in and make contact with you. Well, let me help you protect yourself. Okay. Let me do that with you. Cause you, you clearly need it. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about just to give some context. Is this, I'm going to try to frame it. Is this people who have been trauma, heavily traumatized? Is this just people who are who can look back through their history and say, "No, nothing happened. Like I had a I had a great life, but man, I just I keep having challenge in relationship. I keep being told I'm unavailable. I'm emotionally distant, or I'm locked up." No, no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, all of us have had some level of trauma. Okay, somewhere, and it might not be trauma like you know, you had a car accident and the person next to you was killed or mm -hmm. it might not be that it could be loss. It could be, mm -hmm. it could be, you know, that you were incredibly in love and that ended and it, and you haven't grieved it yet. It mm -hmm. could be that, um, something around being bullied as a kid. It could be, yeah. you know, as simple as, you know, you walk down the street and, you know, someone doesn't think you're a man, mm. you know, or all the messages we get around being men and actually women get around being women. Yeah. They, it's, I think, it, yeah. It's like, it's not okay to be you. Right. 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 And so we go to those places of protection when, when we have loss, when we have incredible stress, when we have, um, trauma when we could be getting sick yeah what are we protecting ourselves from i know that sounds like a super basic question but as a 44 year old healthy strong human what am i protecting myself from sitting across from someone that makes me uncomfortable like i'm not worried about my safety quote, well, my physical safety. you might be protecting yourself from being seen you might be protecting because... yourself. Well, can I go back to what we were joking around? Uh, sure, 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 we, sure. When you said you pulled up and 
you know, you talk to Michael about whatever my reputation is, and it's like you were going, oh, fuck, I don't want to be seen by this guy. I don't want to, I don't want to fucking be seen by this guy. He'll fucking look like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. And, yeah. It, and it, 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 you know, and, you know, I do the same damn thing. Yeah. And, you know, there are people that I really, really respect, and it's like, oh, man, they're going to see that I really just fucked up. Yeah. You know, and is that an imposter syndrome or is that more of just everybody's walking around? I something? think we just do that. It's just part of the human I don't, experience. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I have trouble with call, trying to label things yeah. like imposter syndrome because okay. then it sounds it's pathological. And it's I don't, daunting. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't buy that. Okay. It's like, there are times when we, when we get nervous, there are times mm -hmm. when we want to protect ourselves. There are times when we respect somebody and they see us doing something and we, we go, Oh my God, are we going to mm -hmm. get judged? Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I mean, I'll bring this in. I, I have a very good friend and mentor named Mark Rashid with horses and his wife's name is Chrissy McDonald. And I work with them. They're my mentors on, that work well if i'm riding with them and i do something that where i blow it or my timing's off it's like i don't it's it's like you know i'll, I'll end up going oh my god yeah <laughs> not that they're doing that right they're, they're they're not judging me at all yeah on it but it's my my shit it's yeah. like like okay did i just do this right mm. and um you know, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. Like, like there's all different kinds of levels of how we protect ourselves. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, we need to, and sometimes most of the time we actually don't. It's but just an overcompensation. Could be. Yeah. Or it could be a way to go in slowly. It mm. could be a way to go in to find out we're safe. Mm -hmm. Like when we were up talking about with the horses just a little bit ago, and we were talking about horses want to know two things. Yeah. Are they safe and where do they belong? Well, right. you know, I mean, I just met you a couple hours ago. It's yeah. like, am I safe with you? Yeah. And where do I belong with you? Yeah. You know, how do, how, how do we do that with each other? Right, right, right. And how does that get sorted out with humans? Uh, that's a <laughs> you're asking me a really hard question. Thanks, thanks. thanks. If Michael told me I could do whatever I want. <laughs> Michael's gonna go have to play with Dylan. <laughs> um, actually, the same way it gets sorted out with with horses is like coming in slow, mm. making contact, seeing if if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes releasing, sometimes taking a step back and then coming back in. And it's like a moving in and out until mm. we go, oh, I can move all the way in. Mm. And um, that happens more quickly with some people than with others. Mm -hmm. There's some people that you get this energetic thing where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, this is good. Yeah, I get him. I get her. Yeah. And then there's other times where it's like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And that may be sometimes what another person is giving off, or it may be our projection onto them. Mm, that's and, true. Yeah. and so we don't, then, then we have to begin sorting those kinds of things out. Right. Like, is this real? Is yeah. it, is it true that Trevor's going to come up here and nail my ass or, yeah. well, no, 
Yeah. But I could project that. Yeah. Um, but if I really allow myself to go, oh, well, well, that was, that's not true. Okay. So I can step in another, another level. Mm. And, um, the, a, another part of this is, is it takes time. So there's a piece that I teach and, and I just say it and then that contact, the contact we were talking about. Yeah. Contact, when contact between two beings, and it's not just between two people, and this is part of the undomesticating of therapy. It's like contact between myself and a tree or contact between myself and the air, contact between uh, myself and a horse, contact between myself and, and the ground. Uh, but so it's like, how do I create contact? And but when contact between two beings becomes predictable, it creates connection. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. So contact over time creates connection between two beings. Connection, when that happens over time and becomes predictable between two people or two beings of any sort, then that is what creates relationship. And then relationship over time, when that's predictable, creates intimacy. Mm. And, and not sexual intimacy, sure, sure. But, but intimacy. Relational intimacy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, even when you came up and, you know, Michael and I have known each other a while, you two have known each other a while. Yeah. And it's like, you came up and we shook hands and you and Michael hugged mm -hmm. because of you have a relationship. Right. You and I just met. Right. Exactly mm -hmm. then. As the day's gone on, it's like, oh, this is, it, it's shifting. The energy yeah, yeah. is shifting, clearly shifting between us. And it's like, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. And so time is a big deal. Mm. The other piece around like, and this gets into all the attachment stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there And there's a lot of stuff out there on attachment, but the... The primary way that we attach, the primary way that we create trust between ourselves and another is going through a tough time and coming out okay. Mm -hmm. Agreed. That's, that's, mm -hmm. you can take virtually every therapy, every attachment theory in the world and boil it down to that. Mm -hmm. Whether it be between you and me, whether it be between me and Moon, whether it be between Michael and Dylan. Mm -hmm. Teams, teams, military, yeah. it's why those you guys bet. are so bonded, yeah. You bet. We go through a tough time and we come out okay. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we go through a tough time together. That's like the teams or, mm -hmm. or a platoon or <clears throat> sometimes we go through a tough time between each other. Mm -hmm. When it becomes predictable that we will come out okay, that's what creates the intimacy. That's mm -hmm. what creates that deep trust. And that's what then makes it so we don't have to do control that we can do power beautiful is that yeah see how that yeah, like wraps yeah, yeah. around love it and so are you okay if i talk michael and i've been through a lot mm -hmm. a lot together mm -hmm. and it's like every time it's come out okay mm -hmm. even when it's been tough mm -hmm. for and not and just to be clear it's not been tough between michael and i right but tough situations and et cetera, et cetera. But over time, it's like, yeah, I, I know that 
I can, Michael will stick with me. I'll stick with him. Right. It's like, yeah, okay. I know that one now. Yeah. So, um, so then that becomes our foundation and then we can go from there. And, and that's where the deepening of a relationship comes. That's where the, what I would call intimacy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, would you say that the, like if we boil down the fundamental challenge of relationship, is it the same as with the horses that someone in that pair doesn't feel safe or doesn't know where they belong? Is that a good baseline? Yep. If in, in a relationship, yeah. if we know that we're safe and we know where we belong, everything else gets worked out really easy. Yeah. Can, can you speak to the depth of the word safety? About two years ago, my idea of safety was, is this person going to get punched in the face? If not, they're good. And everything else. Like, well, that's one level of safety. Yeah. That's, that's true. And then getting to spend time in, in more workshop and intimate spaces with women and watching them relax as men gave more vulnerable expressions was a bit of a mind fuck for me. Cause it was like, well, you, and, and cause they would say, now we feel safe with you. And I go, well, each one of these guys just shared something that was, you know, different. Uh, for lack of a better term, that could be if it was out in public and someone shared that, so it may put someone's guard up. Right. Since it happened in this space and they know them that they were actually able to relax. Would you mind just deepening the word safety for us? Safety is, in my view, is created through a process of being vulnerable with another person and coming out okay. And coming out okay. That's the biggie. And... Also, relationally, allowing ourselves to be touched by another creates safety for the other. Creates safety for the other. Right. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah. If I allow you to touch me. Yeah. And I don't mean necessarily physically. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. But that place, that contact place, touch me spiritually, touch me energetically, touch me physically, emotionally, if I allow that, that helps create safety for you. Mm. If you allow that, me to do that with you, that also creates safety. Because? Because we get a sense of who each other is. And that's the whole I-thou piece. Okay. It's like Would you, it, you share a bit more on the I-thou idea? Yeah. <clears throat> let me, let me, um, let me, say something here because I was asked I don't know a week or 10 days ago by somebody because people watch what I do and 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 I teach a lot and it's like how do you and I get asked what's different because there's people out there that have a similar skill level as I do one of the pieces, and, and I don't do this always, so I'm not like sitting here trying to brag on myself. I'm just, it's like, but it is what I try and do. It's like, as a therapist or as a mentor, I try to allow myself to be touched mm. by whomever I'm working with, whether it be my horse, mm. whether it be any other relationship that I have. And um if i know for instance that you allow yourself to be touched 
that creates safety for me. Mm. And if I allow myself to be touched, then that can create safety for you. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to, when you're talking about the group, mm-hmm. you know, and, and women in the group have said, oh, now I feel more comfortable. Safer. I feel safer. safer. Yeah. It's <clears throat> much of that is, is if a man has shared something about themselves that's really true and authentic and, and vulnerable, mm-hmm. they're allowing themselves to be touched. Mm. And a lot of men, uh, our training is to not allow anyone to fucking touch us. Right. Except maybe sexually. And right. Mo- many times that's okay. Saying people saying hi to each other's genitals and right, that right, sort right. of the gig and it's yeah. like then you go home <laughs> or you roll over. everything from the waist up out of the room right exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it's but it's like or, or, can you allow your heart to be touched mm-hmm. can you allow your soul to be touched mm-hmm. whatever that is and and that does lead like to you spoke about or asked about the i thou piece and yeah. and just credit where credit's due is Martin Buber in the late 1800s came up with that term. And for people just hearing that and that may have a challenge with the volume, it's I, thou, and it's the T-H-O-U. Yes. Okay. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is, is it, it's contrasted with I, it. Mm-hmm. And so I, thou is me sitting here and getting that you are having a full experience of me. And it's different than my experience of you because it's my experience where, and I, I had like learned this, like, I don't know, 30 ish years ago, maybe longer where I really got it was I was out, I was out in the meadow and, a. uh, uh, mature cow elk came up and was maybe 20 to 25 feet from me. And she was standing, looking at me, just staring at me. And, and I'm like there one, I got, she was really close. Mm -hmm. She had babies around her Mm. and I'm going, uh, am I safe? (laughs) Yeah. But I, I just looked back and we literally stared at each other. I don't know minutes 10 12 minutes oh wow and it was like what i got was that she was trying to figure out who and what i am yeah i was you know what i made up was she's going wow there's some weird thing standing over there with <laughs> only two legs and they, he moves really slow yeah it smells weird smells weird <laughs> but it was like she was having an experience of me mm. while i was having an experience of her mm. and so instead of just going, oh, she's an elk, mm-hmm. which is, and objectifying uh, her and going, oh, well, there, there's some meat. Right. Or, oh, there's another, okay, I saw an elk. It, it, it's deeper than that. It's like getting that she's having a full experience of me. Mm-hmm. And instead of objectifying who and what she is mm-hmm. and just sort of an aside, all of all of the isms, mm-hmm. the racisms, the sexisms, the ageisms, the blah blah blah. Yeah. All of that's the I it instead of I thou. Mm. That's all of the isms are based on I it relationships instead of I thou relationships. Can you say one or two more sentences about that? Just deepen that a bit. Yeah. 
I mean, right now there's huge racism stuff going on in our society yeah. and, and it's all about it and they, right. And instead of, if I'm looking at a, a person in a, a black body and I'm in a white body, they have had a different experience than me. Right. And I'm not just going, oh, well, I know what you you feel. I know, you know, you should do this or you should do that. It's like more, it's like, what is your experience of being in this world? And are you willing to share that with me some? Mm -hmm. And I'll share my experience of being in this world. Mm -hmm. And instead of, it, it, and the same, it, it, it's like, what's your experience? as a man, as a woman, as a person of color, as a person that's older, like I'm, I'm 70, I get projected on a lot. And uh, actually through my, uh, my career, I get projected on of you're this and you're that. And it's like, people don't see sometimes who I am. Mm. And so getting, and that's the it, that's the I it mm. instead of, of an I thou. And so I do my best to try not to do that. Mm -hmm. Do you see the I, it is the kind of prevailing paradigm of culture? Yeah, I do not. I do not believe in our country that we have a culture. I, we have a society. Please say more about that. A culture is, is a depth of relationship and it's, it's a, it's, it's literally, uh, people being in intimate contact with each other and having shared values and having a core of where I can go sit next to you and be okay. Mm. A society is, it's like, okay, we're going to do all these things and it's more living out of our head mm -hmm. instead of dropping into like, oh, here we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think probably... I mean, look at the commercials on TV. Mm -hmm. Look at look at what people are saying politically. Look at what all of those things. It's like even with uh, uh, no matter. It's like people are saying, and and I really support this. Is Black Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. It's like other people go, <laughs> well, all lives matter. Sure. I mean, that's an objectification of it instead of going, what's your experience? Yeah. What's been your experience the last 400 fucking plus years in this society? Yeah. Because it's different than mine. Right, right, right. And I want to know what it is if right. you're willing to share it. And I'm willing to really hear that. Yeah. And and then we can connect. But if I go, oh, well, all lives matter, then all I'm doing, is I'm just saying, oh, we're all the same. Yeah. And no, we have no. not had the same experience. Yeah. I asked a number of women before writing my book, what's the one thing you wish men knew about our relationship with you? Mm -hmm. And the prevailing answer was, we have a different experience than you do. You bet. And that was, even at the time, kind of, I, I, I intellectually obviously knew that, mm -hmm. but not to the depth of, of one, how like the pain and the misunderstanding that was behind that sentence uh, and probably the, the brutal frustration of us not being able to put ourselves, men speaking, speaking to men, of uh, putting ourselves into women's shoes or experience at all. And so when you're working with couples, is that a big piece of it, of having to say, hey, he's having a different experience than you are, or her, to, to him, she's having a different experience than you are as well? You bet. 
Yeah. And why, why do you think that block is? Is it a protection mechanism? Yeah. So if, if I put myself in your shoes, then I'm opening myself up to... I'm opening myself up to actually having to look at myself in a different way. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Got three votes here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to open myself up to... to uh, being seen from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Say more about that, if you would. Well, well, it's like being seen from my heart and my soul, not just what I look like, not just yeah. what I can do, not just what I can provide. Okay. And even sexually, it's different. Say more, please. Well, <laughs> I'm a little nervous about getting into this, but now I'll go for now it. Now we're going to do it. Let's now do we're going to do it. This is a safe space. In a heterosexual relationship, and so I'm going to talk, I know I'm talking specifically about that. I know there are many, many other kinds of relationships. Sure. I want to acknowledge that. For sure. In a heterosexual relationship, sexually, we go into a woman's body mm -hmm. as men. Mm -hmm. That is very different than going, receiving and, and taking a body part or body parts into our body is mm -hmm. a very different experience than us putting body parts into another person's body. For sure. It's a very different experience. Yeah. And when we're in a, and men don't, I don't think that ever gets talked about. Very rarely. Yeah. And, um, Part of what happens uh, that I see is that women create openings for us mm. physically, spiritually, emotionally. They create openings for us. Otherwise, there'd be no babies. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. And our job as a man is to create an opening for them mm. so that they feel safe creating an opening for us. And the opening is a, a spiritual, energetic opening. But it, I think that's our, our role as a man, is to create opening mm -hmm. for the women that we're with. Mm -hmm. So that they are able to create open, feel safe, creating openings mm -hmm. for us. And so for, for men who are hearing this and saying, okay, I, I get the theory. How the hell do I create an opening for women? <laughs> Uh, no, that's a, I think that we as men need to go practice that. We can practice that with each other. We can practice that with horses. We can practice that with nature because it's an energetic and spiritual opening that we're creating. Mm -hmm. And just like when we were up top, when yeah. we, when we were with moon and it's like we would create an opening and he'd step into it mm. and <clears throat> where he knows that he's safe and he knows that where he belongs. And just so for everybody on this podcast to know that Moon is a horse. <laughs> he's, just so everybody gets that. Moon is one of my horses. Moon's a horse. Moon's a horse. He's actually yeah. Moon Dash is his name. People are welcome to come and visit. Yeah. But, um, for just for a little bit more context for your, your just brand new guy. What does an opening in a relationship for a woman look like specifically? That's a really good question. Thank you. 
um, my experience is that most men are afraid to let themselves be seen. Mm. Because? Because if we do, we might be criticized. We might not be right. enough. We might not be macho enough. We might not be smart enough. So the big, the first piece of opening is allowing ourselves to be seen and touched. Yeah. The second piece is learning how to energetically invite that and to create an opening so that when somebody moves into it, we're available for contact. Mm. So sometimes we create openings and we're not fully available for contact. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you're here. Now what? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But it, it's like, uh, can we create openings that were fully available for contact so that when someone steps in, that we're touchable? Yeah. And that whomever is stepping into that also feels like they're touchable. Mm. And then that's part of what creates the space to touch, to be close, to be intimate, mm -hmm. sexually, those sorts of things. Why is this so much harder for us? And I'm, I'm not, it's not a flippant question. I'm literally asking of, is it my view of culture or how society has indoctrinated men? Or is it our, our egos still haven't gotten, like none of us, not all of us did jujitsu and got our asses kicked for the first year. And we're like, okay, cool. I get it. I'm not that good at this. Why, why do men as a group why is that so much more challenging than it feels like? And I'm just projecting onto women, but it feels like it's easier for them to create openings. First of all, I don't know if I know the full answer to that. Okay, that's fair. Secondly, there, there's an enormous amount of pressure on men to not feel. Yeah. And to not be vulnerable mm -hmm. and to not be, not have tears, to not have hurt mm -hmm. and to just push our way through mm -hmm. the other piece is that we i do not believe that we have allowed ourselves to explore how we are different than women we talk a lot about women being different from us but we don't talk about how we're different from women and so when I'm kind and I'm gentle, that's a very masculine kindness and gentleness. Mm. That's not my, in my view, that's not my feminine. Right. It's my very masculine kindness, gentleness, caring. Mm. And we've not allowed ourselves to explore what that is. The same would hold true reciprocally with women. When women are strong and powerful and sometimes even ferocious, it's like, that's a very, that's very feminine from mm -hmm. my perspective. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a different energy. Right. And I don't want to name that masculine because that take to me, that takes away from who they are and their experience. For sure. And the same way, if I, if I'm kind and gentle and compassionate, that will look different than maybe a woman being kind and gentle and compassionate. Yeah. Both have, both are, are incredibly powerful and incredibly valid mm. but we i don't know that we have owned our own power our own kindness our own gentleness our own mm. and the, one of the visions that i keep having and 
where this really hit me was it was after 9-11 there. And I don't know, it was a, one of the famous uh, photographs of a firefighter mm-hmm. in gear and, uh, and, you know, he's blackened with soot and fire and dust mm-hmm. and he's carrying a child. Mm-hmm. And tears are just yes. running down mm-hmm. his face with all of his bunker gear on. And it's like that, I mean, that's going to make me cry just yeah. even freaking thinking about it because it's like that level of masculinity and power and softness and compassion and loss is, it's like, that's like an epitome of that for me. And it's a, and like he was, I'm sure he was not going, oh, this is really masculine kindness right. as I'm doing that. He For was sure. just being that. Right. And, but that, but that's different than, uh, we don't allow ourselves to explore that for yeah. ourselves. We don't allow ourselves to explore that, uh, that masculine kindness. Yeah. I think you nailed the answer. Um, man, when I think of like the idea of a, a mama bear, we have this idea of the ferocity of a mother and we're never going like, Oh, she just shifted into her masculine. Like, right. No, exactly. It's, it's the fucking mo- mama. Like don't yeah. fuck with the mama. Right. Not like, yeah. So beautifully stated. And, and if, I mean, I've been up where I've actually had elk attack one of my dogs. This was years ago and it was in running season and it was like, it's a big bull elk. And it was like, yeah. I, I didn't go, Oh, that's a masculine thing. I was like, it was just there. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you're right. It's like, uh, we, I believe that we need to allow ourselves to fully own all of who we are and not give ourselves away. And a huge part of who we are is kind and gentle and supportive and, but it, we show it differently. Yeah. We show it differently. Can you speak to the term giving it away? how we do that as men? We allow others to define that for ourselves Mm. instead of defining that for each of our own individual selves. And is that in your mind a societal issue? I want to use the word culture, but I You can use society. You can use culture. Is that like um, the culture, the collective issue? Is that, is that TV ads? Is that, or is it literally a personal issue? Or both? I think it's both. So here's what comes to mind. One of the pieces that I work with with horses is, and again, I'll give credit to Mark uh, Rashid, Mm. who he's the person that taught me this term, is softness with structure. Mm. Say more about that, please. Well, it's like... Can I come in with softness and have structure? Yeah. Giving who we are away is we have, I, what, uh, what I've seen people do and what, I, what I've done and what I've seen men do is we, we work toward softening, being soft, but we drop the structure. Mm. We collapse. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're soft without structure, then we're mush. Right. And that's giving ourselves away. 
if we have structure and without softness, then all we are is, is rigid and controlling. Right, right, right. So when being able to integrate both of those pieces, softness with structure, and sometimes we don't get to be as soft as we might want to be. Sure. But we'll be as soft as we can be, and we can work toward being as soft as we want to be. Yeah. So it's it's not giving up power. I mean, there's times when I've worked with horses where it's like if you look at me, you go, "That's not soft," right. but it's as soft as I can be right then. Mm. But my goal is is to work toward being as soft as I want to be. I'll be as soft as I can be in a given situation. Same way with structure that that goes up and down, and we move with that. That sometimes we have a lot of structure, and that's mm. where we lead, or mm. or that's. But sometimes we we make the choice of letting go of that. Part of what, and this is another piece of this, part of what happens with that is, is having choice about it. Do I have choice to be soft? Mm. Do I have choice to be structured? Do I have choice to raise my energy and be less soft? Do I have choice to drop to drop some of the structure? Mm. Because, and that's really ultimately, this is a little bit of a side note but it's like people ask me what what is health mm -hmm. and what health to me is having choice some mic drop right there <laughs> <laughs> right? and yeah. it's like do I, do I have choice to like if i need to to go what the fuck yeah and at the same time do i have choice to go wow it, it's like okay I'll, I'll let you carry this yeah it's like like what, where this, where it fits is like a, and this, this like this horse, a picture up here, the black and white horse up there is like my horse from the gods. His name was Jake. Mm -hmm. And I was riding out in the winter and I went through this gully where the snow was literally eight to 10 feet deep. Mm. And I was going like, and I was stuck. I couldn't go back because of the train and I could only go forward. And I literally said to him, you know, when you're riding, people think you're supposed to be the leader. Well, mm -hmm. I said, I literally was saying, I, get us out of here, Jake. Yeah. And I gave him his head, meaning I I just asked him, and he, he got us through. Wow. So it's, it's that choice. It's like, when do I give that structure away? When do I yeah. give that, that softness? When do I change that softness? It's all about choice. And it was like, okay, you can do this. I can't. Right. We're together. Let's yeah. do this together. I got us here. You get us through this. So mm -hmm. it's it's that choice of balancing and going back and forth and working with that. And when we give away our softness or we give away our structure and we, we're not working with balance with that, that's when I think we give ourselves away. Mm. Thank you for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It's and again, I've not been asked that question before, so yeah, it, it yeah. feels malleable, and yet it makes it makes sense. I think the the because so many guys, so many people listening are men, they're going to want to know. Okay, definitively, when do I give my structure and when do I give my softness? Like, if there could be a checklist that I could run down, like, okay, cool, I know this. So, the question would become what are some of the cues around or what are some of the precursors to knowing, okay, I need to soften. I need to harden. I need to raise. I need to lower in really, let's say in the context of relationship. 
Well, I wish that I could give you the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> I've been asked for that checklist for about 45 years. We'd be doing this interview from your private jet. Right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be true. If I could come up with that one. And actually, nobody in this room has ever asked me that before, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> like how do you do this yeah learn to listen to your body which means you gotta be in your body yeah your body will tell you for people who don't know what that means be they're like hey i live in this thing when am i not in it can you just drop that sentence a little bit lower yeah I'll try um it's like, can you feel your butt sitting on your seat? Can you feel energy moving through your pelvis? Can mm. when you walk, does your pelvis move? When you walk, does your shoulder do your shoulders move? When you uh, do you stand with your legs straight so no energy can go down through you? I mean, it's it's literally our pelvises are like Grand Central Station. Mm. Everything, every bit of energy goes through our pelvises. Mm. If our pelvises are locked up, well, like when you're standing, is your ass tight? Mm -hmm. If your ass is tight, no energy is moving through. Mm -hmm. if, you, if no energy is moving through, you can't feel anything. Right. I mean, if right now all three of us are sitting here and tightened up our asses, our voices even change. Mm. Our whole, and it's like the biggest piece is like doing the somatic work to really, really learn your body. Okay. And then your body will start telling you, mm. you, you will feel this is not a good deal. <laughs> I okay. need to get out of here. Yeah. You will know that I, and I feel that with, with horses, you, you know, it's like, there are some horses I'm around. I go, we can do anything. There are other horses I'm around. I'm going, this isn't going to happen with this particular horse, at least right now. Mm. And it's mostly because that horse is scared about something. Mm -hmm. But the, um, we, you can learn to feel that. That's the checklist. And then the, the next big piece is many people will feel it. Many people I work with and talk to go, oh, yeah, like, I knew, I knew that's what I should have done, but I didn't listen to it. And it's right. like, so that's the next step. It's like, start listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. and start questioning. It's like, what are you saying to yourself? What is my body saying to me? What is my stomach saying? Mm -hmm. You know, I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Or I know that I should do this. And I, maybe I'm too scared to, maybe I'm too scared to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Like I really need help, but I'm too damn scared to do it. So part of this and, and everything with, with everything that happens in relationship is a fluid process. Mm -hmm. That's why there's no check marks. Okay. Whoa. Huh guys, this is a fascinating conversation, isn't it? So now I want to talk to you men. You've heard Dewey talk about brotherhood, you've heard him talk about trauma, and you've heard him talk about the power of being around other men. I want you in the uncivilized nation, if you are not already, come join a brotherhood, come join other men who are on this path, and come join other men who are taking themselves from civilized to uncivilized. I'm throwing something out here. 
If you join between now and January 1st of 2021, you're going to get grandfathered in at our old price point. If you join after that, the price goes up. Why? Because we're making this thing so freaking cool and adding so much value. We've got guys on teams. We have amazing speakers coming and chatting with them. We're running challenges. Trust me, you do not want to not be a part of the uncivilized nation. Go check us out, www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation. Okay, back to Dewey. Dewey, can we switch gears and talk a little bit about trauma? Sure. One of my early influences was uh, a woman named Carolyn Mace. And one of the early books I read was Why People Don't Heal. And I I think I read it in my early 20s and was just fascinated. Zero, like I didn't know my ass from my elbow at that point. Uh, But was just fascinated by this idea that stuff that happened to us in our past can still be influencing us decades later. Mm -hmm. And at a tw- 22, it was like, this is bullshit. You just, you get over stuff, <laughs> right? Like, right, right. it's not yeah. a big deal, or, et cetera. Can you just speak about a, f- a framework of, for, for people who still have the idea that car accident, rape, assault, like those are the traumas. And if I don't have that, how can something still be informing, informing me now at this point in my life? And, and any other thoughts you have on, um, on trauma itself? Well, that's about a five book answer. I got time. Yeah. <laughs> we got more tea, right, Michael? <laughs> so here's, here's what I've done in my career with trauma. Well, first of all, I think there's a lot of good stuff out there on trauma. Um, and one of the biggest pieces that people are finally getting and is finally being held as uh, what's the right word? Believable, maybe that that, or that we're buying into it is that trauma gets held in our bodies, mm-hmm. and we have what I call cellular memory. Our cells, our bodies remember it, even if our brains don't. Okay. So that's one piece. The other piece is. Uh, obviously part of our body is our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of work out there on the polyvagal theory and how we hold trauma in our nervous system and what parts of our nervous system get turned on and off in trauma. All of that being said, those are very heady kinds of things. And in therapy, you can't sit there and go, well, I think your dorsal vagal is doing this and your yeah. <laughs> that doesn't cut it with people. Yeah. <clears throat> what I've done over the years is put together a, a theory of attachment and a developmental theory that I've taken a lot of information and tried to make it workable. Mm. Like the whole statement Uh, and I have a thing I call the attachment cycle. Um, And I can talk about that a little bit, but um, when we, well, in utero in the first 18 ish months of our lives, we're working on attachment Mm -hmm. with our, with our primary caregivers. Mm -hmm. And that begins in utero. And then we go through developmental stages 
the way that I see trauma is that when we have been traumatized, for whatever reason, we go back to that whole attachment process. It's the same process as when we are born, that we're trying to reattach is what we're really trying to do. Does that make sense? So trauma unattaches us or makes us feel Yes, trauma, yes. Okay, and unattaches us from ourselves? Well, well, from ourselves and from others. Attachment is, and I have, and I would have to look it up. I put together a whole... Uh, definition of attachment, but it's a deep emotional bond that we that we have that again is energetic, spiritual, physical, and and emotional. But what we do is that we cut that all of that off. We mm. detach, and like we were talking up top, when we go into the sympathetic or that red zone, <clears throat> we actually yeah, that's when we freeze. That's when we sleep, faint, or dissociate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a detachment. So the, all trauma work is, is, is about working on reattaching mm. in relationship. Well, if we did not have that down well in the beginning, well, we're, when we get traumatized, we're going to end up having to deal with the trauma and our attachment. So we get the double whammy. Mm-hmm. In our developmental process, we go through and I, I've taken developmental stages and renamed them. And we go through those stages and at different places, we have injuries in those stages. Mm. Like, and so it creates impasses in that stage. We get partially through a stage. And we don't complete that stage. Right. It's sort of like, and I'm a little hesitant to use this, but it's, it, if you can think about, <clears throat> it's sort of like Swiss cheese where it's like you, the cheese it's a block of cheese, but there's holes in it. Yeah. And so a lot of what therapy is, is going back and filling in those holes. Okay. But when we get traumatized, we go back to, to attachment, which is our first stage of development. So we have to go through, we literally have to reattach. Mm. And that's what the therapy is. And then, so the stages are, and I'll go through this quick. And if you want more we can do this. Our first stage of life is finding out if the world's an okay place to be. Mm-hmm. Our second stage of life is finding out, am I okay? Mm. Our third stage is how much can I do? Mm. Our fourth stage is how well can I do it? And then adolescence is who am I? Mm. Then early adulthood is who am I really? Because in adolescence, we think we know who we are. And then we hit about 24 and we go like, what the fuck? I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, but what blows up relationships is not being able to attach. What blows up, what where we blow up with trauma is we go back and go, well, I thought I could attach, but now I found out I can't. Mm-hmm. Or I was attached and that got, the rug got pulled out from under me. So now what the fuck? Right. So let me give and just a quick example. Sure. A number of years ago, my youngest brother died. Mm-hmm. His name is John. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. So it's like, so I'm like going like, is the world okay without John in it? Mm. Am I okay without John in it? Right. In my world. How much can I do without him? Mm. How well can I do? Who am I without this mm. guy? So it's, it's, uh, that's also our grieving process. Oh, wow. 
So it's like, is the world okay? Yeah. Without my brother in it? Yeah. Sometimes not. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know, am I okay without my brother yeah. in the world? Sometimes not. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, how much can I do without him? How well can I do it? And who, and who the fuck am I now? Yeah. And we go through that. And it's the same way is, and, and I've seen this. I both had major accidents where I was flight for life out. Mm. And also where I've seen people killed. And it's like, am I okay? Is the world okay with this? Yeah. No. And then I have to work through that. And that's you by like, expressing and support and et cetera, et cetera. And I can walk through that some if you want, but it's like, you know, is the world okay? Am I okay? And we go through that process all the time. Yeah. If we have unfinished business in any of those stages, it's sort of like we start going through it and then we hit, we go boom up against that unfinished business. It's like a ceiling before the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, I think of it sort of like a, you know, a climbing wall, mm. you know, and you have different holds and you're going up and then there's some hold that you can't get over that right. you got to get, you know, but so you got that hold that you're trying to get up and, and you get stuck there. Yeah. And I call those impasses. Again, I call them an impasse instead of an injury or a whatever, because they're not pathological. People think they're pathological and they're not. Say more about that if you would. Well, let's say um, something so I'm working with somebody who whose parents were killed in an airplane crash when they were 12 every time they go through something and, and the 12 is the beginning of trying to figure out who you are and what your values are Every time they reach something new, they go back and have to almost grieve the loss of their parents again. Wow. So, so the impasse, it's, and people go, well, well, I should be finished with that. I'm like, you know, 37 years old. And that yeah. was, that was, you know, 30, 25 years ago. Well, it is, but it's still there. So when we push up against something, say some other loss mm. and this actually happened around a person who had a dog that died who was actually 12 years old mm. so it was like and they're going well the dog was 12 and i was 12 and i mean and it just brought up brought up all of that unfinished stuff where they're going okay if i'm going to get through grieving my dog i have to grieve my parents again Oof. does that make sense yeah it makes sense so so, and it's like, okay, well, let's do that. Instead of saying, well, you should be over your parents. Yeah. That's what they were saying. Oh, I should be over my parents. Well, no, you shouldn't. Yeah. It's like, that's what you're doing. It's what's happening. It's what um, your parents were a huge loss. And what, what really happened was this person's parents died when this person was 12. She did not attach to anybody or anything else until she attached to the dog mm. that died. 
And so her losing, because she was attached well to her parents, mm -hmm. but then when she lost her dog, it, it brought up all of that because her dog was the first being that she attached to mm -hmm. since she had lost her parents. Mm -hmm. So it was, it just brought up that unfinished business, that impasse mm -hmm. again. And that's not pathological. That's, that's something that we do. That's how we're made. That's mm -hmm. how we're designed. That makes any sense. Yeah. Do we, is there such thing as getting over? Like, will that person have to go back and revisit the death of her parents every time she's traumatized around attachment? Um, when we really allow ourselves to grieve, we do. What I say is that we can finish our business. And what that means is like when I just brought my brother up a few minutes ago, it's like, yeah, I have feelings, yeah, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my day falling apart. It's like, right. It was like just during that time, like I'm, I miss him. Yeah, of course. And so it's like, you know, yeah, we're good. And I'm not going to forget. Mm. It's like, like, I don't have to go back and figure it all out and go back through it, but I'm also not going to forget. And I'm still yeah. going to have feelings about it. So uh, we finish, but we don't forget. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Do you see a collective shift right now in how people are talking about managing, working with trauma than we did five, 10 years ago? Huge. Yeah? Yeah. In what regard? Um, that... Uh, people are actually working with it from a developmental place mm -hmm. and people are actually <clears throat> um, really supporting the work of working somatically with mm -hmm. trauma. And for people who don't know what the word somatic means? Uh, working with and through our bodies. Through the body. Okay. Yeah, and, and energetically instead of going... Where we do, we do not grieve. We do not get over something by thinking that it's over. Yeah. So there's a place where, yeah, there's there's a lot of 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 shift. Mm -hmm. Like it, literally for probably thirty to thirty five years, I've been talking about trauma as an attachment issue. In the last four or five years, that's become a normal perspective mm. out there or an accepted perspective. Okay. And uh, the same way with addictions. Addictions are an attachment issue. Please say more about that. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple more five book questions. Okay. <laughs> Here's the quick and dirty. We are designed to attach. We're designed to be in relationship. Yeah. When we try to do that as a child, and the person who is feeding us is not there fully. Mm -hmm. They're giving us food, but they're gone. Mm -hmm. What we will attach, this is very quick and dirty. Mm -hmm. What we will do is we will attach to the food, not the person giving it to us. Okay. As an infant, we need three things. We need food, we need touch, and we need movement. Mm -hmm. And... That's what happens in, in utero, and that's part of what happens in attachment <clears throat> after. So what will happen is that we'll, we'll attach to the food, and we'll attach to the touch, and we'll attach to the movement instead of the person providing that for us. 
Makes sense. So, and that's what a, that's what an addiction is, is an attachment to food or attachment to, <clears throat> to drinking or an attachment to sex or an attachment to work. And instead of an attachment to, to the person we're having sex with, mm. or instead of to the person that we're having food with. That and if I, we're alone and we're doing those things? Well, we can still be attached to ourselves. We can be attached yeah. to the world. An attachment doesn't mean that it can only be here when you and I are here. Mm-hmm. It's like after this interview, you're I'm gonna the energy that you bring, I'm gonna be feeling that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be holding that. Same way with Michael. Mm-hmm. It's like we can, you know. We can be attached and not be right in the same room with somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but an addiction is where we're attaching to a to a substance or a process or a, an action instead of ta- attaching to another being. And so, do we then teach people or show people who are dealing with addictions to attach to people or to attach to themselves? Is it is the is the disconnect? Well, it's attaching to our to ourselves and and allowing ourselves to attach to other people yeah. instead of it. And that's why some of the programs, like AA and some of the other programs, that, that those programs actually help you attach to other people. Mm. That's that's not what they. I mean, that's not what they teach. That's right. not their thing. But that's really what's happening. Yeah. And um, I was fortunate enough, like years ago, through a woman named Diane Israel who uh, at Naropa mm. and she was an Olympic athlete and she held the world's uh, record, I believe, for women's triathlon for a number of years. She's like an amazing athlete. And, but through her, I got to, to work with a number of people, Olympians. And, um, you know, a lot of people who push themselves that hard, you know, right? I see a smile on your yeah, face. Yeah. It's like they're attached to the bicycle that they're riding mm-hmm. or they're attached to the exercise. They're attached to to whatever it is and, and instead of being attached to another person. So when, they, when they're done yeah. being Olympians, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're liking, right. they, they don't know where to go. Yeah. And... You know, and it doesn't mean that they can't, that they need to stop riding a bicycle or stop mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're doing. But it does mean that, that it's like we need to learn to be able to attach and connect with other people. Mm. A lot of times what will happen is that people will focus. Like I, I raced Nordic skiing and... And it's like all of my buddies were Nordic skiers. But when I stopped skiing, I didn't have any buddies anymore. Mm-hmm. So the attachment was to the skiing, not to the, to the people that I did it with. Yeah. So when we get into heavy-duty addictions, we're trying to attach. We're trying to do what we're designed to do. We're just doing it in a way that's not that helpful to us. Mm. Do you? Uh, how do you then take someone who is addicted and... I don't want, I don't know if teach is the right word, but demonstrate to them attachment in a healthier way. 
And does this just blow up the idea that addiction is simply a biochemical? Yeah, it blows up that idea. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean we don't have biochemical addictions. Okay. That's a part of it. Okay. It's a yes and. Yeah. Okay. Um, exactly what we were doing up there with the horses. Mm -hmm. It's like bringing in very, and sometimes it takes a long time. Uh, bring in very slowly. How do you make contact with another person? How do you make contact with yourself? Because people are making contact. And a lot of times what happens with addictions, it's a protective process. Mm. It's like, I can go home and maybe I don't know how to make contact with the person I'm living with, but I know that I can have those 12 beers and I know exactly what will happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what we're really working on is rebuilding trust in other people so that we can attach to them because the core of attachment is trust. Mm. And so we're beginning to, if we don't trust other people, then what we have to begin doing is building a foundation of trust. If, we have gone through something where we really don't trust other people. We need to come in in another way <clears throat> where we're working with nature, mm. we're working with animals, where we're working with uh, the earth and ways that we can begin attaching that way mm -hmm. through horses or through dogs or through being outside to begin, actually begin to believe that we can do that mm -hmm. and that we can begin trusting ourselves to do that. And then when we do that, we can help transfer from there to another person. Mm. Many times, and you'll probably ask me, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting this, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> you know the follow-up questions. <laughs> <Is clears throat> um, God, I just spaced out what I was going to say after I said that. <laughs> We're, we're, we're protecting ourselves. Yeah. So, so when we don't attach, we're doing that out of protecting ourselves. So a big protecting ourselves from, well, we've had this, this is a piece we have, when we, most people, when we've gone through trauma, we end up feeling like we're prey. Hmm and that we're prey animals and the predators are after us. And that's a deep seated feeling. That's, that's a not deep, a logical. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. Cause I have had people go, I know you're not scary. I know being up here is not scary, but I am so fucking afraid. Mm. And, and that's where, and that's actually where horses come in huge because horses are prey animals. Yeah. They know how to navigate the world from that, lens the way to be safe when we're prey is to be in relationship hmm. that's how horses stay safe they have a whole dynamic in their herd to stay safe mm -hmm. as humans when we're prey we go no way i don't want to be in a relationship with anybody i'd rather be alone hmm. are we prey animals uh, we can be any we can be prey or predator depending on our experience and what we do. Yeah. Do you often find, sorry to hijack this, that we become predatory in the fear of becoming, in the fear or the experience of being prey? Yes. Okay. Oftentimes that's exactly what happens. 
Yeah. Well, which is, that's a perfect segue into if we go up and we're with horses who are prey, if we're not predator, they don't have to be prey. Take that one step further, please. All right. If they're not, if we're not predators, they don't have to be prey. What are they? Then we're just neutral. We're in relationship. We get to be in relationship. So that's the it almost we're climbing up a ladder. We have predatory, predator and prey up a higher level. We have in relationship. You bet. Okay. And at predator and prey level, we have an inherent sense of lack of safety. Yeah. And actually yeah. what's interesting on both sides. Yeah. Predators aren't any more safe than prey are. Because? Because we know that what predators do, they kill them. Yeah. We, a predator can also be prey. Yeah. There's always someone bigger, smarter, faster out there. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anyone in this room has tried to make that different, but. <laughs> uh huh. Just want to be unfuckwithable. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What was that on? What was that on that yeah, book? Yeah, you can't hurt me. You can't hurt me, and it's like, yeah, you can. Yeah. And so, but when we can move out of that, mm. that's when power can come in instead of control, mm. sort of wrapping all the way around. That's when we get creative. That's mm. when we feel safe. That's when we. Um, deep in relationships that's when we um, put together like amazing kinds of things that's mm -hmm. where the art of life comes in then right there's no art without safety that yeah okay that level of creativity yeah up till then we can do paint by numbers right 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 <laughs> but it's not like okay what do i really want to do with this yeah and so so ultimately, our lives, if we can pull this together for ourselves, our lives are a piece of art mm. that, we're, that we're sculpting, painting, creating. Mm -hmm. And then every piece of relationship, every relationship we have is then another piece of art. Mm. And from a therapeutic perspective, when I'm teaching, what I want to teach people to do is not be therapists, but to be artists. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah, but um, the same way with riding, you know, like part of my goal is riding horses is to be an artist. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff we can do mechanically mm -hmm. and get something done, but that's right. different than being an artist. Mm -hmm. So, Dewey, we are about two weeks out from an election just to give people context as a date. And I would say in the US especially, the collective has never been more afraid and never felt more unsafe. Do you have, or can you share something for just someone listening that's saying, I don't feel safe in the world right now, what can I do? That's a gigantic question. Another five book question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, good, you're good at these. Thank you. I'd love you to come back. Um, many times when we don't feel safe, what we do is isolate ourselves. Hmm. And you said that's the opposite with horses, but that's what humans do. Right. When horses don't feel safe, they look for somebody else to be with. Yeah. 
there between COVID and between what's happening politically, I've had hundreds of people talk about how they feel like they're prey, like yeah. they're victim. Yeah. Which in, we have been. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not a made up gig. Mm -hmm. that, that's true. Mm -hmm. The way that we create safety is through relationship. Mm. And it's literally people getting together, which again, with COVID, everyone's saying stay apart. So okay. it's like, how do we do that? How do we how do we find relationship that we can settle in? Yeah. Okay. And, um, and do that in a way where we create openings for each other in a way <clears throat> that then when somebody steps into that opening, mm -hmm. there's contact, there's true contact there to be with the other and go just be able to breathe and mm -hmm. live and, mm -hmm. So I do think the part of politically what's going on feels really unsafe to people, but mm -hmm. also COVID is of a course. really huge, big thing. Yeah. Um, so safety comes through relationship. Okay. And attachment. Okay. Do you have any questions you'd love to throw in here, Michael? Or statements? <laughs> no, I mean, I feel there's a lot of things I could say, um, but not like a closing statement. Okay. Question? I mean, some of the questions that were coming up for me were like, what are the ways that you see men breaking contact? Um, they were more like that. So it might be a whole other tangent. Sure. Questions. Um. <laughs> Having phones. <laughs> um. A little bit more of just like what the pulling your perspective as a therapist, like, you get a very interesting behind the scenes lens. Um, mostly through being intellectual. So I'm just going to repeat the question. So the question Michael asked was, how does do we see men most often breaking contact? Sorry, please. No, no, that, <clears throat> I appreciate that. By being intellectual and by analyzing. Those are the two big ways that I see men breaking contact. And uh, we need to stop analyzing. Mm. the the word analyze actually spells analyze which means we're sort of looking out of our ass <laughs> and so what we try and do is analyze instead of feel mm. we analyze instead of make contact we analyze instead of of be vulnerable mm. those are and it's it's probably the biggest way that we we protect ourselves and and I do think it's a protection. Yes. Yeah. And because if we can analyze something, and go, yeah, yeah. Well, you you agree? You agree? Oh, okay. We're all good. But yeah. nothing's changed. We still haven't made contact with each other. Right. We haven't made e helped each other feel safe. Mm. We don't know where we belong, um, but we got to figure it figured out. And how do you see that affecting the partner? <laughs> well you mean you mean like the partner that actually really wants to make contact with us that partner no. <laughs> it would be they're going like where the fuck are you yeah you got it all figured out but that's different than just being with me mm. it's different than just being with me would you just be with me
how do you often work with men in that situation? Uh, getting them to just be with, I mean, I guess it's a funny question. <laughs> to ask. Step by step on how to just be. Well, one is actually stop talking. Hmm. Another is, is, is literally, literally people is working with people's energy. It's like, because you, you can see the energy, like when people go into their heads, no matter who they are, you can see that. And it's like, whew. And it's like helping people come back into their body, helping, and it's mostly through breath, actually. That's, I'm just off the top of my head, but it's like mostly through breath. <clears throat> um, and really slowing down our breath. And the other piece is through movement like physical movement. It's like, I don't hardly sit still anytime with somebody that I'm working with. We're always moving. Yeah. And um, even if it's swaying, but mostly breaths. Mm. What percentage of your couple's sessions are just asking men to breathe, <clears throat> feel? Oh, somewhere between 100 and 110 <laughs> percent. <laughs> just somewhere between there. Um, and to stop analyzing what their partner is doing. Why and, are we obsessed with analysis as men? <laughs> We're going to figure everything out here today. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, actually, analysis is really fucking cool. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we can sit here and record this is because of analysis. Yeah. It's, it's like really cool. Yeah. And I think we get addicted to it. Mm. And because it's safer than feeling. Yeah. It's safer mm. and it's cool and we can make shit and we make trucks and cars and predictable. Yeah. We can predict it and we make engines. I mean, the idea, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. And uh, being smart and figuring stuff out is cool. And I don't want to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to stop that on any level. I, this is going back to the choice piece. It's like, can we make a choice of when we do that and when mm -hmm. we don't? And how do we allow ourselves to stop analyzing enough to be able to be in contact? And so... But analyzing is cool and it's fun and we get addicted to it and we and we're I rewarded for it. Yeah, we're rewarded big time for it. And yeah. we're we're discouraged and punished for feeling. Like in in the podcast uh, of the woman with a trans child, mm -hmm. it's like all of that was about feeling. Mm -hmm. And and that was it was like and I, she said something, and I forget exactly the phrase, but it was like just letting her child be her child. Mm -hmm. Just love her as she is. Yeah, and it was like, and it's like, we, nobody had to figure out why it happened, what was the biology behind it, what it, it's like, we don't have to figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. But we get, a, I think we get addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And probably... And the same thing with therapists. I mean, therapists sitting around and friggin' analyze up to friggin' yin yang. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, stop it. Yeah. Just fucking stop it. 
And when I supervise, I will have therapists go, well, my client's doing this because of this, because of this, and because of this. And, you know, my, a lot of my questions are about how does that protect you from connecting to your client by figuring that out? Mm. And there's therapies out there that literally teach you not to connect to your client. Mm. And it's like when we're injured in relationship, the only way we heal is in relationship. And it, there's no other way. Mm. And so again, can you allow yourself to be touched? Can you allow yourself to be vulnerable? Can you allow yourself to um, be courageous in your vulnerability? Because mm-hmm. it's really easy to be tough, but not vulnerable. Yeah. So. Sounds so, like you're saying on one level, the men analyzing is a way that we stay in control and don't explore power. And it's also a way we break away from the eye thou. That would be correct. Yeah. yeah. Good, good summary. Beautiful. Let's leave it at that. Dewey, thank all you right. so much for your time, for your energy, for sharing all of this. If people are interested in finding you, uh, I, I tried to do some recon on you. There's, there's not a lot. How would you like people to connect with you if they're interested in working with you or taking this conversation further? Um, my email is Dewey Freeman at Gmail. I do have one website out there. Actually, I have a couple. One is the Gestalt Equine Institute website where we do training. The other is I have another website, DeweyFreeman.org, which is it's not a big website, but either of those. Um, yeah, get me through my email. Beautiful. Thank you again. Right. I really appreciate this. All right. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading. 